Howdy folks, today is Thursday, November 30th, and I've got two stories I'm going to talk about today. The first one is the United States government's decision to strip RT of its Capitol Hill press credentials and how that doesn't look so good given that a day earlier the U.S. State Department said that America doesn't restrict foreign agents' ability to operate and that Russia shouldn't do that either. And then the second story I'll address is a renewed, reopened federal investigation into the murder of the Romanovs, the last Tsar and his family and retinue, and the fact that the Russian Orthodox Church wants them and is being allowed to ask them to consider a notoriously anti-Semitic conspiracy theory to explain the executions. So the situation surrounding RT and the U.S. government is becoming more embarrassing by the day. Um, early this week on November 28th, so that would be, what day is that? That's Tuesday. Glorious Tuesday. On Tuesday, the State Department spokesperson uh, comes out with a formal statement calling on Russia not to apply its foreign agent, its new foreign agent, media outlet law in such a way as to restrict foreign agents' ability to operate. And the U.S. State Department said specifically that the American FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act, doesn't restrict foreign agents' ability to operate. And if you read the the law itself and if you look at uh, what RT, uh, which was just forced, its American outlet was just forced to register under FARA, if you look up until November 28th at what they'd had to do, it was file some paperwork but generally speaking, they were allowed; they could keep operating as, as before. Um, and so the State Department was, was telling the truth. One day later, the U.S. Congressional Office, specifically the Executive Committee of the Congressional Radio and Television Correspondence Galleries, kind of an awful, long, weird name, but at any rate, it's an it it's organization run through the U.S. Congress, uh, created in 1939, incidentally. They put out a statement stripping RT of its Capitol Hill press credentials. So literally 24 hours after um, after Heather Newert, is that how you say her name? I guess so. Heather Newert. Nowert? Anyway, after she made this claim about Farah not restricting foreign agents' ability to operate a wing of the U.S. federal government, I don't know if wing is the right terminology. In fact, I did get a letter from a, I think it was a lawyer, an American lawyer, objecting to a claim I made that uh, the U.S. lied, basically, about how far it works, because my, I mean, my argument is that you've got the State Department saying one thing, and then you've got part of an organization that, that is, is, is uh, working on behalf of the U.S. Congress saying or doing something different. And so I guess the... The, the claim is that the, the executive committee of the Congressional Radio and Television Correspondence Galleries is actually a, a group of independent journalists. And so they're not necessarily, they are, they are not you know, government officials per se, but it's the U.S. Congressional Office stripping RT of Capitol Hill press credentials. So uh, my, my reading of that is the U.S. The US did lie, um, or at least it, it, its uh, left hand doesn't know what the right one's doing or whatever that phrase is. I don't think I'm alone in arguing here that uh, what the U.S. government has done so far 
to try to, I don't know, um, lay down the law against RT has in fact just bolstered its its supporters and, and increased its publicity. Um, I mean, and this is generally the the consequence of, of saying anything about RT because if you if you don't moan about how it's terrible Russian propaganda, all you're left with is its lousy reporting. And so, or you know, with the the disaster videos that it buys from other news outlets and posts on YouTube. Um, but generally speaking, just a a real screw up here. And now you can only imagine what the Russian officials are going to do to BBG projects like Voice of America, um, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, because now not only do they have this case of uh, of RT being added to the foreign agents list. Um, in the United States, where the consequence was a bunch of paperwork, and that was about it. Now you have a sort of um, concrete example of that registration interfering with RT's uh, operations in the United States. So just, I mean, imagine what they're going to do now to Voice of America and RFERL. I'm not familiar enough with their operations to know if they also have government credentials in Russia that could be revoked, but... They're going to they're going to do something to to obstruct their operations because that would be the reciprocate reciprocal move here, um, and they've already promised. Lawmakers have already promised to do something along those lines, and so I just don't see what the United States gains here. Um, RT doesn't have a big audience, but if you persecute it, then you're giving it publicity, and presumably your the message that will reach the people that actually like RT is that. The network is speaking such truth to power that they're being censored by the government and persecuted. So yeah, the U.S. has traded uh, weakening RT on Capitol Hill for, I guess, I mean, it's on one hand, it's the United States is essentially surrendering the moral high ground, if 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 that's a useful phrase here, uh, which is certainly that was the the impression that. Uh, Heather Nauert was giving on November 28th when she was saying, oh, the FARA in the United States doesn't restrict foreign agents' ability to operate, and Russia shouldn't do that either. They were, that was essentially the United States claiming the moral high ground, saying, look, we both ha- now have laws and foreign agents in uh, journalism, and let's both be big boys about this and not use it to actually obstruct journalism. And then they went and did it. The U.S. government went and did that a day later. And so no more moral high ground. So that's bad. Um, for the United States. And then the other consequence here is that uh, the U.S. doesn't really gain anything useful. Uh, RT's inability to have press credentials on Capitol Hill doesn't stop it from reporting on, I don't know, either conspiracy theories in the United States or doing kind of leftist or alt-right reporting on social issues and so on. So they can keep doing exactly what they have done um, that's that's uh, you know one over the political fringes, but they have a concrete case for saying that their work is being obstructed because it is now by the U.S. government, and it's just now when now when Russia does this to American outlets, whether it's government outlets or private ones like CNN, um, it 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 can say that it's just doing what the U.S. did, and if anything, the United States already invited this this uh, <laughs> this tit for tat by saying you know, don't apply your foreign agent law in ways that we don't, which would which which suggests that you can ap- apply it in ways that they do. And now they've given them the up. Op- anyway, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but uh, uh, it's it's unfortunate. And so, yeah, what we're left with is uh, Americans are 
terrified that uh, Russian propaganda has, I don't know, has. I mean, the, the the unspoken thing here is that that uh, liberals and and moderate conservatives are are uh, angry with the Russians for for possibly swinging the election in Trump's way, um, in Trump's favor, and I think that probably largely breaks down in terms of sort of class uh, phobias. And you have a lot of you know nice liberals and and uh, and educated folks saying, "Oh my gosh, how could these how could these millions of idiots have uh, bought into the stupid propaganda that the Russians put out, or the racist propaganda, or the socialist leftist propaganda that was you know Bernie Bro stuff or alt right stuff on the other on the other side?" And the the fear is that there are too many kind of dumb racists or scatterbrain leftists out there, and they're vulnerable to Russian influence without knowing it necessarily. And on the Russian side, um, there's a, an even longer tradition or more sustained tradition of fearing uh, Western and American uh, foreign influence in Russian politics. And there, it strikes me as more of a generational concern. In fact, um, just on Wednesday, November 29th, there was a new study issued by the Federation Council, the upper house of the Russian parliament, the what's often called the Senate. Um, and they put out a report saying that, uh, warning that Western nations are planning to transform Russian youths into uh, instruments of uh, eroding political institutions and staging color revolutions and, and a coup, and they're going to destabilize society. This is all the big grand scheme of the West to take effect in Russia. And so I think the the Russian lawmakers are generally a little wilder when they when they talk about this sort of thing. I, I'm obviously uh talking about the the threat of Russian propaganda is all the rage in uh in Washington and has been for a couple of years now, but I it generally doesn't approach this it it's not for, it's not couched in these generational terms. And I think the the notion of generations changing and so on is is something very important in Russia right now. And it's if you talk about Navalny's uh, reemergence, because you know he, he kind of became one of the leaders of the opposition in 2011, 2012, and then uh, his his mayoral run in Moscow was was heavily followed. But in those days, the rhetoric was usually it's this uh, office plankton or this middle class that's awakening. And they have liberal values, and this is the end of Putinism because he's the sort of state bureaucrat, and he's he's for the regions and the poor. And now that Russia's kind of been put on a now that it's rebounded long enough from communism and the the troubled '90s and so on, it's time for new leadership and new direction and that kind of thing. Now, when you look at Navalny, the talk is almost exclusively, constantly about him having mobilized young people. And I think that uh, this, this fear that, uh, that, that this, this report by the Federation Council, Council which uh, warns about Western nations targeting Russian youths, r- sort of reflects that, that generational aspect to uh, fears about foreign influence. And in, whereas in the United States, it strikes me as, as more class-based. The other story I want to talk about, or just maybe summarize, is a report that was tra- I translated for Medusa today, November 30th, about the 
royal family murder case that was reopened by the Russian investigative committee. This was the third time that it's been reopened since the 90s. The first two times that the cases were opened, each followed instances when remains of the Romanovs were, were discovered. And so there was a sort of logical reason to revisit the case and to conduct new forensic analysis and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and this third time that it was opened is apparently ex- exclusively because the Russian Orthodox Church is unhappy about the last invest- investigation, the second one that occurred and wrapped up about, about a decade ago. And their qualm is that they were not allowed to pose questions to the forensic experts when examining the, the bones that were discovered in 2007. So they essentially bothered the Federal Investigative Committee long enough that, that the agency agreed to reopen the case and dig up the bones again that were, had been buried, obviously. And they let, the, they let representatives from the church pose a bunch of questions. And before getting into the questions that the Russian Orthodox Church representatives have, have put to the have put most recently to the forensic experts in the in this third reopened case is this notion of uh, the the Tsar and his family and his retinue being ki- being murdered in a ritual killing. And now before getting into the questions that the Russian Orthodox Church have put to the most recent round of forensic experts is this term ritual killing which in the context of the murder of the Romanovs has overtly anti-Semitic overtones and an an anti-Semitic history to it. And it it, obviously uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about ritual killings and, you know, doing weird things with blood uh, when killing people, often children that dates back centuries to medieval times and, and, um, there, in the Medusa article, there's this really bizarre anecdote from a cultural historian uh, or scholar uh, saying that the belief in the um, 11th, 12th centuries in Germany was that uh, that Jews uh, would kill a child before Easter in some weird special way. They'd drain his blood and then they'd mix it into the matzah um, that they would then eat, which is pretty weird. Um, although maybe it's maybe that would make matzah taste good. Um, I found that that only with chocolate <laughs> would it does it actually taste good. So I don't know. It doesn't sound like a good additive, uh, and historical evidence shows that that's uh, full of shit. They don't do that. Um, but the theory has persisted that Jews are involved in ritual killings. But so how did the ritual killing theory get tied up with the Tsar's execution? Well, it, it got started right away. Uh, the 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 lead investigator working with the anti-Bolshevik White Army. Uh, determined that there was a Jewish plot against the royal family that going back to before the revolution and that they managed to pull it all together in 1918 finally. And um, his evidence is, as you can imagine, uh, some strange circumstantial stuff. Um, but the, the, uh, the weirdest two things about it are one, uh, that uh, a bunch of alcohol was apparently missing from the house in which the executions took place and so and there was also apparently a rumor being spread by low-level public servants that uh, uh, the Tsar's head was decapitated and then transported in a vat of alcohol and brought back to the Soviet 
authorities in Moscow to be displayed, I guess, as proof that the execution went through. And then the other thing that uh, that he he discovered in the house where the killings took place was a, an inscription on the wall uh, in German, right? and it was an excerpt from a poem uh, that, that referred to uh, an old Babylonian king that in the Talmud as, uh, is, is known as, as, a, as a tyrannical oppressor of Jews. And then beside this passage on the wall, the, the investigator says he discovered four symbols uh, that he, he described as Kabbalistic. Um, and there's, the, the story's weird. So, of course, there's a British journalist who wanders in and uh, claims to decipher the symbols, and he says that they belong to uh, um, certain societies in Germany that are, where, where Jews are known to participate, and the, the inscriptions apparently belong to their coded system of message writing. And this, 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 uh, this, this fellow named Wilton draws together the Jewish conspiracy, and then he, black magic is involved, and there's secret forces, and Rasputin plays a role, and he combines all this together to conclude that, uh, that it was a ritual killing that claimed the lives of the royal family. Um, and as you can imagine, historians uh, don't put much stock in that theory, and Medusa spoke to, as I mentioned before, a cultural uh, expert, cultural historian, scholar, uh, woman who uh, who gave some gives some background on the ritual killing theory and why the the investigation carried out by the White Army is essentially garbage. Um, and you can look at that article and see essentially some details of of uh, why that's why that's all bunk. But what's remarkable is that the Russian Orthodox Church, which has now been granted access to the forensic experts uh, that are working on this, you know, new, newly reopened uh, murder case, they've been given permission to ask questions. And so now the forensic experts are, are fielding a total of 76 questions. Now, not all of those are from the Russian Orthodox Church, but that's the scope of their an- analysis currently. And some of the questions that, that the Russian Orthodox Church representatives have asked, they basically recycle all the dumbest shit that uh, that anti-Semites and and uh, and the White Army investigation raised that have been debunked by by scholars over the last century, um, and so so uh, the the Russian Orthodox Church right now is asking investigators to say if it's likely that the Romanovs were murdered in a ritual killing, and if the fact that the beds that disappeared from the house where the executions took place is related to the ritual nature of the murder. And now Medusa spoke to several experts on the case, and nobody knew knows what on earth they're talking about with these disappearing beds. Uh, and, but clearly they've stumbled onto some uh, strange detail in, in the case records, and they believe that the, the beds, and the, or the missing beds, rather, are evidence of some kind of, you know, Kabbalistic, Kabbalistic uh, elements to this this murder. Um, there's also a few questions from an unnamed patriotic community that claims to have spent many years investigating the this the murder case on its own, and its questions are really weird. Um, the, the that group has has submitted uh, the, the following questions. It's known that this this starts off not as a question at all, but it'll get there. You'll see. So the questions the question reads. It's known that a large amount of alcohol was removed from the premises, 
which became some of the circumstantial evidence suggesting that the heads of the Tsar and his heir were dismembered so they could be displayed to Soviet leaders. Is there any other explanation for the disappearance of this alcohol? And then another question is, can the investigation offer any explanation for the Kabbalistic or Kabbalistic markings? Has there been any expert examination of these symbols? So to the second question, yes, there has. And, and Medusa's uh, the, the source with the uh, cultural historian scholar, has she, she explains at, in, in depth why the markings are simply not Hebrew letters and so on. And obviously the first question is, is uh, based on the notion that, that the Tsar may have been beheaded, which forensic experts have already determined didn't happen. Yet the way the question is worded it, it, it suggests that uh, there's simply no other way to explain uh, uh, the missing alcohol. Therefore, clearly the story about the head being preserved in it must be true, even if the head was never removed from the body. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, lots of wonderful uh, bizarre details like this, although the story itself is not wonderful at all, of course, because it's the story of uh, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory gaining so much uh, strength and popularity in modern-day Russia that the Federal Investigative Committee is actually wasting man hours and, and uh, you know government resources on answering these absurd questions that have already been answered twice before in the last several decades. Um, but it's a it's a pretty wild tale, and I recommend taking taking a minute or two to to read that story. Yeah.